And welcome back, everybody, to Double Down with Breslow, where we, where we cover everything in the business of sports betting, not just in America, but over, we hop over a few ponds, all the way over to Australia, Sydney, Australia, where today we're joined by Tom Waterhouse, who has been a long time in the business of sports betting in Australia. Uh, perhaps the epicenter of sports betting for the world, I would say, uh, Australia. Tom, we're thrilled to have you on the program, our first Australian no, guest. Thank you very much. Very excited to be on it. Awesome. So uh, I, I'm going to use this opportunity to, to tell what I consider to be a funny little story. So uh, I, I noticed that and you and I discussed earlier that we were both in YPO, Young Presidents Organization, which is designed for people that are running a company of a certain size and under a certain age, and then you're eligible to join YPO. And it's an amazing organization that you and I are both part of. Uh, and it's an international organization and really known for allowing people to make connections and so on. And we got a lot of people listening in the sports betting industry. And I, I'm not sure how well that's represented in YPO, but I encourage any of the uh, young uh, entrepreneurs out there to to look into YPO. But to give an example as to how great YPO can be, I was flying to Sydney, Australia on December 30th, about five years ago. We were going to take in New Year's at, at the Sydney Harbor, which is infamous, right, for its New Year's celebration. Yep. And uh, I'm, I'm I'm flying with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. And I'd always heard this about YPO that, oh, you can connect with people anywhere in the world, right? And, and so I'm like, okay, I'm going to yep. give this a shot. So literally, I'm on the plane flying to Sydney and I, I bring up the YPO page for, for Sydney. And somehow I send out some type of a, a mass email that goes to, I don't know how many people just saying, Hey, I'm Jim from America. I'm coming for new years, anything going on that I should know about. And sure enough, I almost immediately hear back from a guy and you might know this guy. Are you in YPO Sydney? I am. Yeah. Okay, so there's a good chance you know him. Unfortunately, I'm not going to remember his name, but when I tell you about him, you'll 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 know who it is if you know this guy. But he, but he responds and says, "Hey Jim, glad to hear from you. As a matter of fact, I'm having a little get together at my house for New Year's. You're welcome to to join if you like." I'm like, "Okay, well that's very generous." And he's just having a little gathering at his house. But I'm thinking, eh, a guy in YPO is invite somebody randomly to his house unless this is going to be a good party you know because he knows i'm coming for yep. new year's so i go and sure enough the guy's got a gorgeous 17 million dollar house whatever it was on the water in the sydney harbor you know boats pulling up and so on not a huge party only had about 50 guests but just super cool interesting people all from australia and it became the perfect night you know, to launch my trip to Australia, we were going to be there for three weeks. We met a lot of really cool people and took in the fireworks from his place. And the guy couldn't have been nicer. And I, I told him how I planned on going to the Australian Open uh, later in Melbourne. And he goes, oh, well, I happen to have, you know, season tickets or whatever you want to call it for the entire tournament. You know, tell me what day you want to go and I'll give you my tickets for a day. I'm like, Jesus, this, yeah, just, keeps getting, this, well this, just, this just keeps getting better and better. And he hooks me up with like what is literally the best tickets in in the in the at Rod Laver Arena because it's in the front row on the baseline, yep. which is where you want to be, right? So he he gets us into an early round because that's where we're going to be. So I'm seeing I'm watching Rafael Nadal uh, from the best seats in the place, 
And he also got us into the little pre-party that they did uh, that he had tickets for that he couldn't use, where I got, got to meet Rod Laver. I go down to the court and Djokovic is warming up down to the court and we're standing right by. And I, oh I, got, to see, I got to see Djokovic take a tennis ball right in the nuts. Swear to God, <laughs> right across from us. He's practicing. Guy hits it without Djokovic paying attention. And he went down in a ball for about five minutes. And then, you, you know, we, we kind of had to walk away at that point and give him some privacy. Anyway, that's my YPO Sydney story. This guy owns a chain of CD stores, like the old school oh, yeah. m- music CDs. Yes, yes, yeah. That, that's it's, it's, it's amazing network, isn't it? I went. I was same thing. I was in Louisiana in Mer Rouge uh, in January. YPO fellow YPO fellow YPO and took such great care of us. It's a my kids, my three kids loved it. My wife. It's it's an amazing network. It's uh-huh. uh, that's cool. Yeah, it's, well, I'm I aged out of it. I'm getting a little old now, so I'm no longer in YPO. I'm in the 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 what they call the WPO, and I, I just haven't. The been man's name was Ray, by the way. That you're Ray? Uh, talking about, Ray. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It was Ray. Yeah. Now is he in actually yeah. your group? He's not in my forum, but he's in the YPO chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, cool. And an extremely nice man and very successful businessman and and what he did with that, the company was called Sanity, I'm pretty sure. And what he did with that business is, uh, I actually asked him, I, I was running as a CEO of William Hill in Australia, and I asked him to come and present to our exec team for what he did with that company and turned that company around. It was um, a, amazing story, really. Uh, That's great. Yeah, I know a little bit about the story. It's my understanding that the owner of the CD chain, which obviously CD stores are closing like crazy in those days, Right. Yeah. And, and today there are, are virtually none, at least in America. And even at the time I was visiting Australia, there was very few in America. And I remember telling him that, like, I'm surprised you guys are even still in business. But the owner of the company basically told him that, hey, I want to shut this thing down. He was running it, I think, at the time. And he right. said, gee, shut it down. Are you sure? You know, can't you? I think I could make a go at this and keep these stores open. And he said, hey, if you can do it, more power to you. You can have the keys to the company or or he paid him something for it, something like that. But he managed to to keep the company going. I think you're spot on. Yeah, I think he started out literally at the at the very entry level job within that company and rose up to being to running it and then took over the business for, I think, virtually nothing. And yeah. what he did is he, he is. And again, I, this is what I think he did is that he closed down the major city stores uh, like that was like Virgin Records, but in, in Australia and concentrated on the regional areas that still mm-hmm. wanted to go to their shop, buy CDs, buy different stuff from the store and turn it around to being a very profitable business. And uh, yeah, it, it, and made a huge success of it. But yeah, the, the question very nice is, man. And, and you, you, you found the right uh, man in Sydney to, to go to the Australian <laughs> Open because uh, yeah, he, he loves, he loves oh, his he, tennis. He, he, oh yeah, he obviously is a big fan and somehow worked his way into getting those seats that I'm sure he'll never give up the rest of his life because yeah. it just doesn't get any better. I'd be I'd be really curious to know, though, if those CD stores are still open because I, I, I can't imagine people are still buying CDs in Australia. Look, I just, I don't know where his business, that business is now. I know that he's been ultra successful and I think pivoted into lots of other businesses, but he made a big success of that. Um, yeah. The last thing I'll say about the last thing I'll say about Ray, because I I just remember this distinctly, he went through the McDonald's as in McDonald's hamburgers. He went through their management training program and he swore by it. 
he swore by what he learned in the McDonald's management training uh, program. And, and he and he left McDonald's to then go run for that guy who owned the CD store. I think a bunch of lingerie stores. I think that guy had in yeah, Australia. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. But I, I, anyway, I wanted to give more. a shout out to McDonald's though because a lot of people don't. Oh, well, don't it's think an amazing about that. company, isn't it? To be able to be so successful in so many different countries and offer such a, a great. You know what you're going to get when you go to McDonald's. My, I just took my kids to the snow a few weeks ago. It's obviously winter. Just come out of winter here in Australia and. You go to a McDonald's, it's, it's got a lot healthier since when I was a kid. And the service is terrific. It's clean. It's quick. Yeah. And it's the same whether you're in uh, California or, or you're in Sydney. You know, it's the it's the same service. Yep. The poor Russians. Russians. <laughs> McDonald's closed all their stores in Russia because of the war. Yep. And the poor Russians uh, don't don't get to enjoy McDonald's anymore. But that's that's for another day. Yeah. So, so we're going to catch up on one other story, but, but before I get to that, tell me about the history of, of you and your family when it comes to uh, wagering in Australia. Look, so the uh, family's been involved in horses in Australia for over 200 years, but my, in the betting side, my great grandfather was a bookie in the 1800s. My grandfather was the biggest bookie in the world in the 1960s. And then my dad started a, he was a bookmaker and he started a betting syndicate, betting, uh, on horse racing now all over the world, but started off in Australia in 1980 and has never had a losing quarter betting for 43 years. Um, I was at straight out of uni and became a bookie at, at the dogs, the greyhounds. And then by 2008, I, I was the biggest holder or the biggest bookie on course bookie in Australia. So hold but on a second. I, I want to make sure our terminology is the straight between is the same between yeah. Australia and here, right? So when you say yeah. you're a bookie, what exactly does that mean? So uh, the horse racing is very big here. It's maybe the third or fourth biggest industry, the thoroughbred industry in, out of any industry in Australia. And every sat, well, every day there's horse racing somewhere in Australia. And to take bets, there was no um, online gaming allowed and online sports betting was only very, very small at the time. And the main way of betting was to go to the track and bet with a bookie who would stand up and put odds up on a board and you'd have uh, tens of thousands of people betting in cash or credit with those bookmakers. Oh, and, so you're um, saying now that's a huge difference between Australia and the U.S. In the U.S., it's the track itself that you are placing the bet with and yeah, that's so, it. You're, so there's, that you have a yeah. paramutual system in the U.S. In, in Australia, you have uh, – sole traders being bookies that are on the track and you have a paramutual system the paramutual system off obviously the odds change depending on the weight of money the bookies on track offer a fixed odds on that horse race and so it was a very uh lucrative high turnover business i was 25 26 turning over 300 million dollars a year winning, winning and, and, and to be clear totally winning. legal right oh totally. yeah it's your regulated licensed it's a proper it's a proper business and, and a very big attraction for people to go to. It's a national holiday, uh, Melbourne Cup, the Australian biggest uh, horse race. So um, so it was a great business and, and you could win or lose millions of dollars in a year. It was like playing high stakes poker every day. And, um, and I loved it. But what happened was they changed the advertising laws and restrictions in 2008, which allowed online bookmakers to advertise. And so all of my clients started going online, betting with online bookies and all the big 
UK and European bookies, similar to what's happened in the US. So FanDuel is obviously owned by Flutter. Flutter came to Australia and started a business called Sportsbet. Um, Ladbrokes, which is with MGM, they came out to Australia. William Hill, which done a deal with Caesars, they came out to Australia. Bet365, who, who you know, they came out also. And suddenly it got flooded with all of these international entrants. Um, so I launched an online betting business called TomWaterhouse.com. It was the fastest growing online sports betting business in Australia. I went from 100 customers to a quarter of a million customers in 18 months. But I didn't have the scale to compete with the likes of FanDuel and William Hill and Ladbrokes, et cetera. Sold my businesses as part of a small add-on in a three-way $700 million transaction that William Hill did in Australia. Um, we were the smallest out of those three and just a small add-on compared to the two other bigger businesses they bought. But they asked me to be CEO of that company. So I ran that business for four years for them. And then in 2018, we sold as part of a transaction to PokerStars, who then PokerStars actually did a deal with Flutter, which owns obviously Vangel. And then and then probably the journey really started in, in that I started Waterhouse VC, which is a venture capital firm investing in gambling tech. And the reason why I started that was that it's very easy to analyze the value of Caesars, MGM, uh, FanDuel, DraftKings. It's a similar lines of the PL. But not many people understand the suppliers to FanDuel, DraftKings, Caesars, MGM. So if you go to a football match, you know the football team, but you don't know the company that mows the grass or who supplies the hot dogs or who sells the seats. And similar in these gambling companies, there's thousands of suppliers. And so I went with a group of uh, engineers that I work with at William Hill, and we basically went, well, we're going to analyze all the tech that supplies the gambling industry. So we spent our time going all through Europe and, and UK and America and, and in Asia and trying to find the best gambling tech that had one or two contracts and then help them uh, basically expand into other regions, whether it's the US, Australia, UK, and so on. And that's what we do. Cool. And uh, so, basically, yeah, all, all B2B companies, essentially. All B2B companies, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, uh, we got to take one commercial break. And then when we come back, I'm, I'm going to wind you back a little bit to that deal with uh, Poker Stars because my company was also sold to them. So I, I, I want to see what we have in common there. So we're going to be back after the break with more with Tom Waterhouse coming to us direct from Sydney, Australia. I'm coming back. The ocean doesn't care. It's battered rocks, splintered ships. So just imagine what it does to Jefferson's bourbon. Ready for a voyage? Jefferson's Ocean, aged at the mercy of the sea. Hi, it's Lauren the Better, and you're listening to Double Down with Breslow on the Evergreen Podcast Network. And welcome back, everybody, to Double Down. We're talking to Tom Waterhouse, TomWaterhouse.com, uh, and a few other ventures that we'll make sure that we that we mention. Coming to us from Sydney, Australia. Uh, so I, I wanted to go back and talk about it, it was William Hill, Australia, that was bought yep. by the Stars Group, right? Correct. And but uh, well, did you deal with David Bazoff from the no, Stars Group? I didn't. So it was, it was after his time, actually. Um, so yeah, it was after after his time. They bought a business uh, here called Crown Bet, 
and Crownbet and William Hill merged. And then PokerStars uh, or Stars Group bought those businesses and then very quickly had the transaction with, uh, well, Paddy Power, which was Flutter. And gotcha. so it was really at the very end of that journey of PokerStars. Gotcha. Yeah. They, they, so they bought us in around uh, 2015, something like that. Uh, it was actually Amaya, if you remember that name. Yep. So these, yeah. So this is out of Montreal, Canada, for people who don't know. Uh, and a guy named David Bazoff, who was a super interesting guy, super young guy, total go-getter. And uh, he had had this super small publicly traded company just looking as, as a shell to try to put companies into. So he was talking to my company, which is relatively small. But then out of nowhere, manages to buy Poker Stars, which was like a close to a billion dollar purchase and was a mess because it was a company that, you know, had been taken out of business due to, you know, making poker illegal in the U S and had all kinds of fines and, and, you know, nastiness yep. to it, but they managed to clean it up and, and buy it and put it in the shell right at the same time that they bought our company. And uh, we were basically a lottery company. We were, we were selling machines and tickets to lotteries. So um, they bought us at the same time. I almost went on board with poker stars to, to be head of uh, government relations there, but instead stayed on it at Diamond Game because they said, oh, we're going to IPO Diamond Game. So my company was called Diamond Game and we were going to take it public, which ultimately was not a good move. I mean, we just weren't big enough to be public and the guy they brought in to try to buy up other lottery companies, it, none of that materialized and the value of the stock went down and I ended up leaving, you know, soon thereafter. But but yeah, they, they ended up going on their own course that I didn't pay close attention to, but you know, not only did Bazoff pull off buying poker stars, but then helped orchestrate this sale to Flutter for some huge dollar yeah. amount. Yeah, no, incredible, incredible. It's a, a, a amazing journey with some of those companies that create value, roll up of that different businesses, and obviously that was an incredible business. And the database it had a really, those are scale businesses, those poker businesses, and it had a the scale business that it was one of two businesses that you go to for poker, huge global database, and, and they added on those sports books. Yeah, incredible. Well, and it, and it turned journey. out there, it, it turned out, it's my understanding, there ended up being kind of a, almost a direct connection between poker and fantasy sports because a lot of poker players no longer could play in the US. Some of them went out of the country in order to continue to, 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 continue to play. Uh, some, I guess, continued to play in, in, in the U.S. illegally, but a lot of them went on to become fantasy sports players because it's very similar to poker in that you've got this pool of players and you kind of got the sharks and you got the minnows. The minnows are your yeah. guys, just kind of your regular Joes that just want to play a little fantasy or a little poker for fun. And then you got the sharks that are doing it as a as a business. And you could make a lot of money off of the so-called minnows in fantasy, just like you could in poker. Yeah, correct. And it's amazing also with timing, isn't it? You see people that have got this amazing vision and and built these businesses up, but timing with the change in regulation in 2018, those fantasy businesses, poker businesses that have huge databases, they suddenly became worth unlimited money, which two years before, it was probably not even a tenth of what they were in 2018. So right. yeah, in, incredible. So so Australia was essentially the first, are, are you saying to, to allow online betting? Is that kind of the thing no look the, the uk was probably a fair way ahead of australia in that they allowed sole traders to basically have a off-course presence own shops go online and and advertise you could be on the main street in the uk 
and they changed the the rules and regulations, especially around taxing, probably three or four years before Australia. So Australia was the the next port that all of the UK operators came to, and we were it really changed in 2018, so ten years before the US. So what we see when we look at the US is that UK was sort of the first. Australia was a good test case, and what's happened in the US is basically everything that happened in Australia, but a lot faster. Mm-hmm. And so the tax increase, the regulations, the player protections, all that stuff's been rolled out over 10 years in Australia, but you've seen it in basically get up to the same speed in America in five years. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, one of the f- funny things that were not funny, the, probably the biggest mistake I made with TomWaterhouse.com, I hired a, a whole bunch of people that were ultra intelligent, young guys, but we were doing it for the first time. And I always thought back and I said, well, look, I should have just got someone from the UK that had a blueprint and had just done it to come out and help me in Australia. And in the US, you see that. You see a lot of the big operators have joined forces with those UK operators and done joint ventures, or the UK operators have come and bought a, an operator like they did with Vanjul and, uh, and basically taken their expertise and their blueprint of how they roll out that online strategy with sports betting and gaming and roll it out out there in the US. Mm-hmm. So I have a perception that sports betting is significantly bigger in Australia than U.S. Is, is that a correct perception? Yes, yeah, so it's the largest gambling per capita in the world is in Australia. Um, and the thing that protects or makes sports betting online so high and race race betting is we don't have we're not allowed to have online gaming. So land based gaming, let's say it's a thirty billion dollar lot, like thirty billion dollars is lost gambling each year in Australia. 27 billion of that is land-based and then 3 billion of that is online. And that online is made up of, let's say, 70% horse racing and 30% sports betting. And mm. so it's, yeah, it's gambling has been uh, legalized, regulated basically forever here. So it's a, it's a very popular pastime so, and so, a big so, government fund. Yeah. So, 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 uh, so horse betting makes up 30% of total sports betting so, right now. No, it makes up 70%. Horse 70%. racing is the main game. Wow. And the reason why is, is there's a big historical thing around horse racing. So it's it's basically ingrained in, in it's a, a very big industry here, but also it's got products. So it goes wall to wall from early in the morning till into the evening, there's horse racing or somewhere. And so you have product where you don't have gaming online, so if people want to bet throughout the day, there's so much horse racing. And that's, you, you wouldn't believe it, but the biggest sport betting-wise in Australia is not our national sports. It's actually basketball. And the reason why NBA is so big is, firstly, it's a great game. But secondly, there's just so many more games of basketball than there are, of let's say, NFL. Mm. And um, if you yeah, When, when product, do the games take place there? What so time? it takes place in the morning. So a lot of uh, people, when they're they're sitting in there at the desk and and should be working hard they've got their in the right hand top of their screen the basketball going and do they and also have a, an open can of fosters uh, on their desk too yeah, correct yeah yeah open can of fosters exactly wow so it is really in, ingrained in the culture uh but yeah i, I want to yeah. focus on horses for a second because it's something from the time i was a kid my dad my dad used to take me to the horse races so it's kind of ingrained in me you know in in america Horse racing was the sport of kings. It was yep. 
number one or number two to baseball or whatever. But, you know, I'm going back to probably the 40s um, in that. And it's obviously lost huge ground to the point where at this point, you know, as far as popularity, it might be, you know, 15th or 20th. What do you yeah. think is, is is going on there? So, again, you know, it was big here. It's not like it wasn't big. It was big, but it lost huge ground to the other sports, whereas it has not that has not happened in Australia. Yeah, I think it, it, because it's such a big economic driver here and, and there's probably a whole variety of reasons, but it's a very big industry here and very well uh, maintained, looked after, administered. They put a lot of money into uh, making sure it's front and centre. So like people are already planning what they're going to do on Melbourne Cup Day. It's for, I was speaking to the largest restaurateur in, uh, here in, in Australia and they were, they were saying that their biggest day of the year is Melbourne Cup Day because everyone wants to book a table and everyone wants to have their bets on the Melbourne Cup. It's 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 it gets really ingrained here and it's such an industry. And when you're a big industry, that has the flow on benefits that you keep maintaining and marketing and and ensuring that it's their quality events. Um, well, let me tell you my know- theory as to what happened in the U.S. And I think I'm right about this is that horse horse the horse racing industry did not want to be on television. They wanted people to come to the track because yep. they made their money off of people gambling. You couldn't gamble at home other than illegally. So they would just be given a bunch of business to the illegal bookies if they allowed you to sit at home and watch the horse races. So, it. right. So you, you, they never allowed it on television. In the meantime, televised sports has become uber profitable, right? Yeah. It just keeps getting That's more, and more profitable. And, and so horse racing just totally missed out on that in the U S so was it any different in Australia? Did they no, allow that, it? That makes, no, that makes complete sense. I, I guess that if you go into any pub in Australia, um, on the TV is wall-to-wall horse racing. Can you so watch you it at home go, or you had to, it, it was a closed circuit at the look, pub? For, for a period of time when, when I was young, you could watch horse racing on the free-to-air TVs and then it got syndicated to where it was in Sky Channel and uh, pay TV. Um, but you could, you could watch it in your home and you could watch it at your local pub. You didn't have to be at the racetrack. And that's because in, in the sixties, they rolled out the paramutual system, which was government owned for a period of time and then became a listed company. And you could go to any pub or retail outlet that the, the tab had and sit there and have a beer and watch your horse races through the day. And in the afternoon. So yeah, we yeah, call that very off track. Yeah. We call that off track betting here. Yeah. yeah. And Correct. you know, we have had that for quite some time, but m- maybe it wasn't rolled but out. You don't have it in a, you don't have it in your local pub where you go no. with your mates to have a beer in the afternoon where it's on the, on the TV. Screen. No, and only that, a handful. Uh, I I'm, I'm familiar with Arizona. There's a handful of bars that have a license like that, but no, for the most part, it was something on the corner, not an attractive place. Not a place that females would ever go to. I think of it a bit different because obviously you, for nearly 100 years, off-track betting and sports betting was illegal in the US. And, and in Australia, it was legal. So it's a very big gambling nation, Australia. But I think when I get to the US, I always am amazed that you go into a like a, a convenience shop and then on the TV screen, you've got a um, person going, well, this stock's gone today and Apple results are this and Tesla results of this, and it's a a stock market driven uh, like country. You know Ultra, what I mean? Where uh-huh. in Australia, mm-hmm. you wouldn't go. You go to the pub and you'd see the horse racing on, but it's very rare that I'd see 
someone or oh, well, BHP results that are this. Obviously, if you read the financial papers, it's in there. Or Commonwealth Bank did this, or such and such. It's 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 different. Uh, it's gone into the the people's general thing that they look at, uh, looking at sports results and racing and it's more, way more ingrained into the culture. And I think ingrained into the US culture is, is stock market more so. At least that's what I find when I go into a, a store in the US, I see what's happening with the stock market. If you walked into a convenience store in, in Australia, you're not hearing what's happening in, in stocks. But yeah. you walk into a pub, you, you see what's happening in the tennis or in the, in the horse racing. Yeah. All of it gambling nonetheless. <laughs> so we got we got to wrap up, unfortunately. But uh, tell me about is there a particular company that you're kind of watching right now that that we can tell our listeners about? Look, I think I think the two interesting spaces um, uh, that are growing rapidly is that uh, professional betting syndicates um, they're making unlimited money. It's very hard to win win betting, as you know, because the percentage is against you. And but there's probably now a dozen or so super groups in the world that are making uh, unlimited money on, on betting and, and some of the biggest own English Premier League teams and and uh, are making hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars a year, betting on, on sports and horse racing globally. And I think the other area of growth, and uh, I haven't seen growth really like it since the beginning of the 2000s, are these crypto bookmakers. And their growth is in, incredible and the ability for them to be able to um, to grow and use different types of marketing um, that haven't been traditionally done because obviously they've got to operate diff- a bit differently to the mainstream uh, sports books. They're, they're two areas that we're seeing huge growth. And, and then obviously the suppliers, we're in uh, some very interesting businesses, um, uh, data, like in terms of supplying more markets, whether it's uh, sports betting data, esports data, uh, and and also we're in a very very interesting voice betting solution business. So obviously Google, you used to just type in uh, to what where, what you wanted to find or whatever on the internet. And now voice has become a big part big part of how you search. Or if you use Siri, um, we think that that also can take off in 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 sports betting. So we're in a, a voice betting solution that's got some big contracts in in UK and Europe, and we think that's maybe something that could change and, and roll out with operators in the U.S. Interesting. Um, yeah, w- when you talk about crypto and sports betting, are you talking about a company like Bovada? Are you familiar with Bovada? Yeah, uh, look, with basically all of those operators, whether it's like, it's them or Stake or Sportsbet.io, they're all um, doing things a little bit differently. You know, like their influencer marketing, their payments, the ability for their, their service, their customers to get payments cleared very quickly, the number of markets they can offer, the different casino games they can offer. They, but, it, but isn't it pretty gray legally? It depends what jurisdiction you're in. We, we obviously don't invest in any operator. We just look for areas that are growing in different different markets. So mm-hmm. they're, the, they're the operators that are growing at – so you look at the, the largest operators in the U.S. are growing revenues 90-plus percent year-on-year. Year. You're seeing it at a, at a tenfold increase, some of these operators, and, and it's – more of us just keeping a gauge of where the growth is in the industry, whether what bits are growing, which operators are growing. We don't invest in them. We only oper- invest in tech supplies. But for us, we want to be aware of where where growth is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and when you mentioned the, the, the first business you mentioned, I want to make sure I understand what you're talking about. Are you talking about essentially betting syndicates where 
They're very Correct. successfully yeah, so, betting on sporting events. Correct. Yeah, so uh, you're probably aware of um, like Ed Thorpe, who wrote that book, Beat the Dealer, in, in probably 1960 or 1961, that used uh, those large computer computer in MIT where he was at the time to work out how to win a blackjack. That same methodology or system was developed probably around late 70s, 1980, where you could get your first sort of computers at home. And basically, there's been a few supergroups that have built uh, amazing fortunes and been able to, first of all, tackle horse racing because the data was much easier to get, but now has expanded into sports and all different types of products. And these supergroups, obviously, it's a $3 trillion market, the gambling market, and the majority, 99% of it, most people lose gambling. They're doing it as a recreational pastime. And these supergroups that can find a, a statistical edge, uh, they are super successful and, and doing amazing. And now they're basically their access to markets has dramatically increased. And we're seeing huge growth in those syndicates. And, and that's another area that we've, because are, are those these, syndicates obviously need, are these need things access that you to can... data. Are, are these things that you can invest in, these syndicates? Look, early stage with groups that have got that have got access to looking at data in a different way and to, act, to be able to analyze and using technology to analyze certain data points that haven't been accessed before. That's interesting for us because we're looking at data supplies and different data stuff like that. But we like to find areas that are growing fast and seeing what services they need. So do they need... Um, Data collected by drones. Do they need? Do they need to have uh, insights and and people that are collecting games that are in Eastern Europe or in Asian leagues? Or do they need vision rights? Or we're just trying to find it. Basically, supplies to any area of the gambling industry that's growing. We don't typically. Well, we don't invest in any gambling operators. We just invest in in the supplies. Uh, last question. Bet. I think it's called. Um... Well, profit sports betting exchange in, in yeah, the US. Yep. You familiar Across with those guys? Business. Yeah, I am. I am. Yeah, I, we just, we just, I think uh, Dean Dean's, uh, Sison, or, or if I'm pronouncing yep. his name correctly, we, we had on the show recently. Uh, so I'll make that my last question. Any, any thoughts about those guys? Because as far as I know, they're the only exchange wagering, peer to peer wagering uh, licensed sports betting outlet in the US so far. Yeah, I think it's very interesting space, and I think the liquidity across state lines that that problem that they were looks like they've been able to solve is very interesting. I think exchange betting I like a lot, you know, because you're giving a great deal to the customer. The issue that we've seen with exchanges is first you need to have scale because you need to be the exchange of choice. You need to be when a customer wants to bet on any type of market, you don't want them having to go to their sports book again once you've converted them over as a customer. So you need to have scale that you have liquidity on, not even not just the main markets, but on all the markets. And secondly, for you to be able to offer a price that is uh, competitive and relevant to the consumer, you need to have a, a taxing environment that's suitable. So you saw the growth of Betfair in Australia when it was a gross profit model. They grew rapidly. And then what happened and, and stifled their growth is it moved to a turnover tax model. Turnover tax model is very hard for an exchange because they can't, they're not offering the same margin or getting the same margin as a FanDuel or DraftKings, a traditional sports book. They're just taking a clip on either side's transaction. So the, it needs a, a system of taxation that works for them. And it also needs to be, it's a winner takes all in my mind 
an exchange. So whoever gets the liquidity and has that depth of market and can offer competitive price, they're going to be very hard to beat. And I think an exchange model is very, very interesting, but it's it's not like a sports book where you can have 30 operators in the market all making some money. You need to be the one. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I wish... I wish Dean and, and, and that business every success. You know, it's a it's an exciting path they're going on. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a matter of will Flutter eventually jump into it here in the US? Well, the, well, the interesting thing, they they had Betfair uh, in the US and they pulled out of the, that market. They own that brand, which is the biggest exchange brand in the world. So, yeah, if they if the, if it looks lucrative and, yeah, they, you can expect them to compete. Um, yeah. they're, they're first class world-class operators you know what they've done in the uk what they've done in australia got the largest operator here and obviously you you see what they do with fangio it's it's incredible operation yeah cool you're gonna be betting the nfl this year or is that not does australia follow the nfl Uh, yeah nfl is huge nfl is huge i'm uh, uh, since my days as a bookie i'm not a better it's uh i obviously follow the industry well but i I, um, Once you've been on the other I, side, it's it's too hard to well, go back to the sucker side. Yeah, I don't have an edge. I don't have an edge. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody here is quite excited. Tomorrow's opening day NFL. So uh, we wish all the bookmakers out there a yeah. fabulous I, I NFL read, um, season. Billy Billy Walter's book, which is uh, what an incredible uh, journey that man has had. It's incredible. Uh, and the way he analyzes it, well, he's uh, an example of those people that can find an edge and, and – uh, and beat the market, you know? Yep. Yep. Hey, my friend, I really enjoyed it. Fascinating conversation. Love connecting all the way from Australia. And uh, hopefully I'll get back out there um, soon and you, you, you'll you hook me up with the Australian Open, right? I, yeah, I don't know if Ray, I'll, I'll yeah. go with Ray first. And if, I, if, if Ray's got nothing for me, I'm, I'm hitting you up. I have to say you found the right man. <laughs> all right, Tom. Tom Waterhouse Thanks. from Tom Waterhouse. Check out TomWaterhouse.com for everything that he's got going on. And thank you all for listening and watching to Double Down with Russell. We'll be back soon with another great interview. Take care, everyone. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.